Reduce, reuse, refashion. Hello everyone and welcome to yet another episode of my podcast, Refashion. I am very happy that so many of you are listening to this podcast, sharing about it and leaving positive reviews. I personally just cannot express my gratitude for each and every one of you. Thank you so, so much. I hope you are learning something new from each of the episodes and get to learn more about circle and sustainable fashion. There are so many great topics I would like to share with you so that you could build a complete picture of circular fashion landscape for yourself and you would be able to take knowledgeable decisions in your own life. Today's guest is sharing a designer's point of view towards circular fashion and how we can achieve zero waste. My guest is no one else but a designer, Julia Laurent, who has studied fashion design at Central St. Martins in London. She has lots of experience in costume making and in the fashion industry. We had a live talk on Instagram with her back in summer where she shared her knowledge about luxury and made-to-measure fashion um, and its history and uh, she opposed the historic trends with uh, fast fashion movement which is happening these days. To my strong belief, knowing that enables you to address today's issues and bring some improvements to the root cause of the problem. But don't worry, we don't only talk about history here in this episode. We also look into today's world and in the near future and talk about uprising Asian market. Are there any lessons for them to take from us? And what should we change in the fashion industry going forward? Listen to our conversation to get to know your answers. Hi, everybody. This is Julia Laurent. Uh, I am actually formally was uh, studying in London. So I was, I, I'm a graduate from the Central St. Martin School of Design. That's actually quite uh, renowned in the world for fashion design. Um, so what I majored in was bespoke tailoring. And I was really interested in historical costuming because in terms of fashion industry, there's many different things you can major in. Um, so I did a lot on uh, crafting and tailoring, particularly menswear. So that's actually something I really lo love and specialized in. Um, but of course, we were trained in all aspects. So we do women's wear as well. So what I ended up doing was uh, on the side, I was working two jobs. I was an intern for the longest time at Next Models Management, in which I had really great hands-on experience uh, working on London Fashion Week, a couple of seasons, actually. I did about three seasons with them. So it's a total of about one and a half years I was with the Next Models. And then thereafter, I was also working subsequently with Miu Miu um, Prada mm -hmm. Group. So it's, you know, Miu Miu is part of Prada, but it's just like more hip side of Prada. <laughs> um, yeah. People tend to think that there are different companies, but they're actually the same one. So I was working for Miu Miu, first in a store, and then I got an internship to work with them in the back office in London, where I did a lot of merchandising and I did uh, color designing with them. So just like a bit of experience on what the industry really was like. But I think London Fashion Week really was the eye opener. Also because Next Models gave me a lot of exposure. I was able to work very closely with some of the really famous um, models on building the portfolio. So I wasn't just an intern. I was actually on the floor working with them. 
helping them to construct and the marketing materials and all these sort of things. Um, so uh, some of the people I got come across was, um, I think, Alex Chung, she was there. Pixie Geldof was also someone I came in touch with. Uh, Xu Pei. I know people may not know Xu Pei very well, but she's actually Carl Lagerfeld's formerly favorite um, Asian model for Chanel Catwalk. So if you just search Xu Pei, she comes out uh, a really close friend. Um, also, Judson Bursa, uh, he went on to win Survivor. <laughs> so okay. I helped all these people build their portfolios. That, that was before they got ultra famous. That was just right before they got the hit. Uh, so there, there's just some people that I got to know during my time in London. And they're really nice people just working behind the scenes. I'm a nobody. <laughs> but, but these people have been such great um, down to earth, really famous people, but very down to earth people I've met at the agency. So London was a great experience. Uh, bumping to a lot of people there. And I think fashion in London, really, there wasn't anywhere else I could have gained the same amount of exposure if it wasn't because it was London. So I really do highly recommend that if anyone has the interest, do give London a try. If you think that Paris is a little bit too crowded, <laughs> Paris <laughs> is really hard to get into because you need to speak French and I can't speak French. But um, Paris is great for networking if you're good in French. Um, but otherwise, London is always a go-to. Yes. And so London is, is, is a hotspot for all the fashion trends and the beauty um, news and all the upcoming trends, right? Yes, I think uh, it's the one-stop place where you get everybody congregating together to, um, I think, more about business of fashion, not so much in terms of uh, couture, where we talk about mm -hmm. uh, ready, to, ready to wear is more London, uh, where made to measure is more Paris. So it's kind of like we split them into two. So London is more ready to wear fast fashion or um, designer fashion, but really for the streets. So it's really like uh, you get in, you get your stuff, you get out. <laughs> you also meet <laughs> a lot of amazing uh, couturists like Rolf and Rosso. Uh, I know there's not really a brand people do know, but Rolf and Rosso is huge in the UK. Um, they were started by an Australian British couple. Um, and they have been the four lines of what you call ready to make, uh, ready to wear couture. I know it sounds funny, but basically yeah. they're couturists, but they're able to make it ready to wear. So you can just go to the store, get yourself measured, and they'll just alter it straight for you on the same day. So it's, it's that's really that's amazing. Fast. It's a new concept. Yeah. It's um, that fast. It doesn't even take a week or two weeks. That no. On the spot. Yeah. <laughs> on the spot. So you can actually, wow. I know a lot of um, princesses from Dubai, from the UAE, who like to go there and they get themselves just walk into the store at Harrods. Um, they find the dress they love and then immediately send for alterations and it's back in the same day to use in the evening for their, for their dinners and stuff. So that's actually really quite cool. Uh, Rolf and Rosso. That's something that people can really look out for, Rolf and Rosso. Yeah. Wow. And just out of curiosity, we are not talking about hundreds of dollars uh, price range. We're talking about thousands and maybe ten thousands of dollars. Ten thousand is ten thousand is not really cutting the line. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about twenty eight hundred. So you're talking probably about uh, two hundred eighty thousand dollars for a dress. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Just to be made hot couture on on the day that you really yes. want. Wow. Um, couture usually starts at six digits. I mean, the cheapest you can find is probably 80,000 pounds. And that's a couture dress price. I think mm -hmm. an average uh, dinner dress is about 80,000 pounds and above. Uh, wow. So if you would like to get uh, higher dresses, like a really neat, neat to mesh out, where you can get all the accessories and embroidery, uh, they easily chalk up to about a million dollars. 
So wow. couture, it's really, uh, haute couture is really for a very, very few people in this world. Uh, so that was what I loved and what I majored in, in, in making and all that. So that's pure craftsmanship. And that's what I studied in the UK. Um, so I do have the skills. Um, <laughs> I do have the skills to do it, um, but it takes a lot of men hours. So it's really team effort. Uh, couture is not something you can do alone, unfortunately. You can, of course, make a dress, but all the other toppings or accessories and so on and so forth, and selecting materials and all that, they all go into the cost. So people ask, oh, what is a whole couture? It's basically art. You're actually not buying fashion, you're buying a piece of art. So it's really expensive, uh, I would say. And the industry is getting uh, more and more popular again. There was a period of time where there was a slump, but in the last five or six years I've seen, uh, also because the rise of the Asian um, dynasties of um, commerce, so you can see like a lot of Asians actually going into haute couture. So there's a huge market now again, um, particularly London, London, because Paris, uh, you need to speak French. Sometimes it's a little bit difficult to get your requests across. So because of that, London has become a hot spot for uh, ready to wear and haute couture. So yeah, I think I think really it's um, not not a bad place to go to if you like to just dabble in a bit of fashion and try and find people and network in London. Get your Absolutely. hands quite very easily in the fashion industry. Yeah. Absolutely. So having seen fashion from those different angles, how would you define what is fashion to you? Wow, what is fashion to me? Oh, many different levels. Um, I think for me, style and trend are the two things I really go for in fashion. Uh, wearing it, for example, it's not just wearing uh, just wearing shirts every day. It's not even about being appropriate. For me, true and real fashion, it's about collecting. It's about really going into a piece of art and loving a piece of dress for the way that it is. So it could. It's not just wearing uh, for you know every day. It's actually really about uh, a sense a sense of belonging to what you want to see yourself in. Uh, so fashion for me really is art. I, th I think it's really, really quite difficult for um, those of us who don't really make your own dresses to understand this concept. But if you do start getting into making your own dress, you start realizing that you're actually really proud of your own work. And sometimes you want to try different styles and different things. So that's the reason why uh, I started to learn fashion was to make my own, was to be able to create my own patterns, create my own piece of art, sort of. Um, Hokkaido is really on another level. Um, but what I love about Hokkaido is also that there is no wastage. Why do I say there's no wastage? Because every single piece of couture is not like fast fashion. It's not like ready to wear, uh, where you just buy and you go, this is not longer appropriate to me. I'm just going to check it off. You don't do that because Hokkaido costs so much. And also it's every piece of effort and every piece of craftsmanship that goes into this. So people actually have them transfer ownership on them and they get reused over and over again. So they're like pieces of art that gets passed through different people and its value only increases over time. Its value doesn't decrease, unlike ready-to-wear fashions or fast fashion as you know it. So stuff like H&M and all that sort of things, you know, we wear them for one season and we throw them out. Um, but for Hokkaido, that, that would never happen. Ready-to-wear versus made to measure, the industries are completely different. They're two sides of the same coin called fashion but they're very, very much two sides. Um, so I, I think that normal people tend not to prefer tailoring their own clothes because they feel that's too much of a cost um, without understanding that actually stuff that you make by hand actually lasts a lot longer 
and the quality that you get from something that you actually measure up and make that quality less and that quality is something people prefer to invest in um so buying clothes is an investment sort of <laughs> it's an art and it's an investment and that that's what fashion is to me yes okay so you also mentioned that you started studying you wanted to study uh, fashion because you wanted to learn how to make patterns yourself how to sew something yourself so when was the, the first time that you mm. sewed something uh, or you designed something in your life wow uh designing something i started designing them when i was 12. Uh, <laughs> when i actually started making something that was the first time i got to fashion school because mm -hmm. before i went to fashion school i probably only knew how to sew buttons <laughs> I <know it's laughs> I, I tried to sew my own stuff, of course. Um, I, I made my own costumes because costuming, I, I know people say, what's costumes got to do with fashion? Basically, costumes are a higher level of fashion. So whatever you wear in stores are made by machines. So that's pretty straightforward. You know, patterns are very straight cut and they're very modern. They're made according to Victorian patterns. So they're all very curvy and everything is just set for you. Whereas costuming is a whole other level. So if you want to do hokuchu, you have to be trained in costuming because that is where the real technique really comes in. Um, so I, I went to major in costuming because of that, just to learn techniques. And uh, really, costuming is a whole nother, a whole nother game. Um, <laughs> if you know John Galliano, Galliano is no longer with Dior, but Galliano was really famous because his first ever graduate collection was on the Rococo period which was the 18th century period. So all his dresses were made with 18th century patterning. Now, when we talk about patterning, patterning is kind of like a metric system to measurements. So if you don't actually have the correct system, your clothes are gonna not look the right way. So if you try to make an ancient dress based on modern patterns, it's not going to look like an ancient dress. So <laughs> we need to go back in time and actually learn the patterning and learn the techniques of how they made it back then in order to create something that's kind of an in-between. So Galliano was really famous in taking and digging up all these historical old patterns, whether from the 40s, 50s, 1800s, 1700s. He was really good at picking them up and modernizing them. So he's finding in-between between modern patterns and the ancient ones, and then creating new fashion from that. So that's uh, what we call renewal, right? Like a Renaissance type of fashion. Mm -hmm. um, that sort of fashion is really, really used today in Hokuchu. Not so much you're ready to wear, because ready to wear is standard patterning, uh, as we know it, you know, for today's wear, you just wear it. But um, the stuff that really requires skill is costuming. So what I do costuming for is practice work, uh, to keep up my skill. Because usually you never really make them in daily life. I mean, why would I make a dress that's going to cost me 20,000 pounds and then I'm never going to be able to wear on the streets, uh, maybe for an event one, one year. So because of that, I do a lot of costuming uh, just to keep up my skills. I do cosplay on the side just so that I have a, a venue to, uh, you know, dress up, have a chance <laughs> to keep my skills as I go about my daily life. <laughs> um, but apart from that, I think it, when people talk about the say we go back to costuming or we go back to say fast fashion versus uh, hokuchu fashion yeah um yeah it, it really is art versus wastage <laughs> i think that really is the counterbalance between the two um i think really would like people to um, investigate a little bit more into the clothes that they wear try to support a bit more on hokuchu or make to measure dresses rather than throughout fashions because 
that's something that you can keep with you for a much longer period of time. And it only increases in value. It doesn't, re it doesn't go down. Yeah. And if you cannot afford the hot couture, you can still get the tailor made or um, even fast fashion tailored for you, right? Uh, yes, you can get tailored clothing. Um, but tailored clothing is more like not everybody can afford couture. That's for sure. But tailored clothing is still made with really good techniques. So like say menswear, for example, bespoke suits, as opposed to you going to a store and buying one off the rack. Um, buying one off the rack, you know, you can try. There's a lot of options for you, but that's really not going to last. In terms of lasting, when we talk about lasting, um, it's, also in this, it's also in the way the clothes are being made. Some of the mm -hmm. styles that you can request when you make to measure, instead of buying off the rack, are styles that are classy. And there are styles that do not go out of fashion very easily. What it means is that your tuxedo is going to look good 10 years from now, provided you keep your body. <laughs> of course, you know. So my you body shape. <laughs> but um, that, that suit is going to look so timeless as compared to something you buy off the rack. And that is, that is the one true rule to every single piece of couture I've ever seen. Um, yeah. They may go cocoed out of fashion in a way, in, the, in terms of the way it ages, um, but that still has that timeless feel to them as opposed to stuff you just buy off the racks. Um, because mm -hmm. those, those clothes, you need to understand in the fashion industry when you talk about fast fashions. Um, we are not making those to keep. We are making them to channel new demand. So we actually do want people to throw their clothes out just so you can buy new ones. And that is the ugly truth of fashion that no one tells you. So fast fashion or stuff you don't make to measure are not going to be made with timelessness in mind. They're going to be made with throw out in mind. So um, if you were to think about circular fashion or being fashion conscious, exactly. made to measure will always be a good investment. Yeah. So that's like a go-to or a rule to have in your mind while considering your fashion purchase? Yes. Timelessness. Okay. I think yeah. timelessness is something a lot of people pay for. Uh, you would say that some of the top celebrities, for example, um, I know so many of them, if you were to ask them, so what's your wardrobe like? They can show you some fancy wardrobes, of course, because most of their stuff are mm -mm, sponsored, um, but they do show <laughs> you some fancy wardrobes. Um, end of like to the end of the day, they will still say there are maybe only 10 pieces in my wardrobe that I absolutely love and will absolutely keep. Only 10. That's because these are like the most classic pieces, the most timeless ones. And mm -hmm. I do highly recommend uh, people to practice that, that you have these 10 pieces that you know will forever be in your wardrobe and will be with you for the next 20 years. And timelessness really costs a lot in the fashion industry, as opposed to something that you can just wear and then be like, okay, I'm off next season. Yeah, so, <laughs> but yeah. if you sum the costs, uh, we wouldn't say that uh, fast fashion is cheaper in 10 years uh, period. Because if you count all the purchases and disposals and purchase again, it probably sums up to the same amount of money. Yes, it actually does. But there's a little bit of a balance between that, right? Uh, you would like to look trendy as well, rather than saying, I have one piece I'm wearing all the time. <laughs> so That's true. I think fast fashion, yeah, fast fashion is something that you keep up with. Um, but really, it's also something that you have to be aware of when you buy. Because if not, you're just going to be raking up a lot of purchases and then only to find out that one year from now, you're going to be throwing them. 
Whereas for made-to-measure clothes, there's certain clothing that you would like to have in your forever be wardrobe. And those are the ones I would definitely get tailored and get measured. Yeah. yeah. I, I know the difference in the stuff that's made mass fashion. And I know the stuff that's been made with love, uh, really tailored and measured to you. Those things just have a different feel to them, even when you wear them. Um, they, they just look different. And from far away, you know, someone says, well, there, there isn't much difference between the suits. I'd be like, yeah, well, if I were to put two together, <laughs> if I were to show you a bespoke suit that costs like 5,000 pounds versus one that's just off the racks, uh, they also cost 5,000 pounds. If you stand next to each other with the same thing, you can see the difference right away. It is not something visually um, you know, obvious when it comes to photos and videos, but live, when you see the person live, those things do matter so much. They can be the same cost, exactly the same cost. I know suits of the rex that cost about 5,000 quid, but you know, if you make to measure, those things are made to last. The stitches are made to last. A lot of them are done by hand. Uh, a lot of people ask, what's the difference between hand and machine? Um, mm -hmm. The machine sews perfectly, beautifully straight and flat, but by hand, you get some, you know, sometimes irregularities. But it's in these irregularities that sometimes you get um, a little bit more spark. I know it's a little bit funny to mention, but it's, it's almost going towards a bit of arty-farty level. But when you have these things that are made by hand, um, the hand sewing of human beings lasts very much longer than what's been done by machine. Because the machine stitches them very flatly. So you can actually control uh, how hard or how soft you need some stitches to be. Whereas a human hand can do that, provided a very crafted one, a very skilled one, will give you a stitch that's far more perfect and far more lasting than whatever the machine can do. And that I've seen for myself. So um, it's something that's, it's hard to explain uh, verbally, of course, but it's seeing is believing. So if you have a chance and you can go to the Victorian Albert Museum in London, <laughs> you can have a look at the Dior collection, for example, which is um, unfortunately gone now, but they do have very constant fashion exhibits at Victorian Albert Museum, the V&A. Mm -hmm. I highly recommend anyone who's interested in fashion to go into the V&A, have a look at all these old collections. You can see for yourself what we mean by made to measure by hand versus those that are made mass fashion by machine. They are very different. Yes. I have actually visited the, that exact museum and now as you mentioned <laughs> yeah. those things, it makes much better sense for me to reflect back in time and really consider the art piece that I was looking at. Of course, I read a lot about every single garment, but now hearing it from from you it gives a different perspective on that but you also mentioned uh costs uh so let's say a costume a bespoke costume is the production cost much higher mm -hmm. than a regular fast fashion uh, costume mm, it really depends um it would be of course because men hours cost money and especially say if you talk about suiting I would say Italy, for example, has some of the most skilled crafters I've ever seen. Um, Italy has always been a stronghold of craftsmanship. <clears throat> Not because they're good in leatherware, but because the fact that Italian craftsmen are still historically some of the most uh, experienced. Um, they know what quality is. They know what a high standard fashion quality means. Whereas many other cultures I've been to, say, like even in London, for example, um, when we see craftsmen working, um, they still do not match up to the Italians when it comes to that. Um, it, there is no contention. Italy has some of the best. 
Um, so when, when you go to Italy and you have a chance, uh, they're very closed doors, a bit hard to find them. They're always usually out in the countryside. But when you do find them, have a look at the way they do the bags, especially leatherware. Uh, have, a way, uh, have a look at the way they do suiting, um, selection of fabrics and so on. Napoli, for example, is really famous for fabrics when it comes to suits. Um, historically, they have been very, very good. It's called a trained eye. It's, it's intuition. It's fashion intuition, it's fashion experience, supply chain. Also, because of all that, the Italians have always been very high on their craft. Um, that said, these things, uh, whatever the, they have to offer, um, you do pay them for their work because of all this experience that really goes into the suits and so on. If you have a suit made by them, it's so obvious it's made by them, as opposed to uh, a craftsman from France or a craftsman from England. Everyone has their own little cultural twerks uh, when it comes to that. So when you pay a craftsman to do it, um, that money really goes towards the experience. That's mm -hmm. something you can never get in, in mass fashion. As to what the difference is, seeing is believing. I, I know it's a bit difficult to explain, but seeing is believing when it comes to that. Um, so whatever you feel that money goes to mass fashion, have a look again. Because sometimes mass fashion, like um, I know a few good suit companies, say Tygo Sweden is one of them. We all know Tygo Sweden. We know Jane Linden Bath. It's also pretty good local brands. Um, but really, if you put that suit and a made-to-measure Italian suit and you put them on, <laughs> um, the cost may be somewhat the same. You'll be really surprised. You'll be really, really surprised. Sometimes you buy a really expensive suit from Tygo Sweden and you can go to Napoli and get one tailored. And you ask, what's the difference? My difference is one has experience and it's pretty obvious to see, and the other is just mass fashion. It is branded fashion, but it's still mass fashion. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's um, seeing is believing when it comes to that. And when you put it on, the feeling is very different too. Yes. So would you, in a way, advise everyone to just uh, try out a high-end uh, high fashion brands just to see how it feels? And maybe that would encourage them to do some other purchasing decisions? Yes, actually, I would very much highly recommend, highly, highly recommend if you have a chance, um, step into a few fashion stores such as uh, Prada, uh, Miu Miu for girls. Have a look at the way the dresses are being made. Have a look at, these are also still somewhat we call mass fashion, right? Somewhat, somewhat. I wouldn't say they're all right, they're all made to measure. I wouldn't say that they're that. But the techniques used to make some of these fashions I've seen for myself are very, very close to those made to measure. Um, we're not saying to go in there and buy branded mass fashion. <laughs> we're saying to go in there and have a feel for what quality is. Because that is something you need yes. attunement to. Once you have that attunement, then try out some um some stores or some tailors that can actually make to measure to that degree. And then you can actually discuss with them what are the materials you would like to have? What are the threads you would like to use? You can actually go as far as to customize your thread count. Um, so these things all really count into how the final product is going to look and feel on you. Um, so it's a lot of uh, science and a lot of art when it comes to having something made to measure. You can have anything customized when it comes to make to measure. So those things do last. As opposed to if you just go into a mass fashion store and be like, I'm not sure what I'm doing here. I'm just going to find something that looks good on me. You can try something that you look good on. Take a picture of that. Say, this is the look I like. 
and then go to a quality store, go to a brand store that actually makes clothes really well from one of these Italian uh, designers and so on. Have a try on them and then go to a make to measure person and say, could you recreate this for me? How much would that cost? You will be extremely surprised that you can find some really good deals out there for make to measure. It doesn't have to be haute couture because not any of us can just afford couture. I mean, couture is only for the 0.1% of this world. There's so few people that can afford couture, not even myself. I mean, I can make one for myself, but the materials itself is going to cost me. <laughs> um, I have seen fabrics, silk, that goes for 28,000 pounds a meter. I know oh. that's a lot of money. 28,000 pounds, one meter. You'd be like, what is that one meter of $28,000? Um, it's basically silk that's been dyed, created uh, to a really, really high degree. And these silks are such good quality that they do not deteriorate for hundreds of years. So they can last for hundreds of years. If you were to bury them in a vacuum packed environment, these silks will last thousands of years. So that was the kind of uh, materials that were being used for uh, royalty in ancient times that you have heard of, like in China and so on. Um, these are some of the quality, quality materials. There is fabrics. There are fabrics out there that cost 28,000 pounds per meter. And those are the kind of uh, materials they use in hot couture that you see on these, uh, you know, couture summer collections, spring collections. Um, they are not cheap materials that you see, which is the reason why some dresses rake up to about six, seven digits they do cost that much. Um, so when you ask, what can I do then to play a part in this? I would say, do support me to measure. Don't support uh, mass fashion as much. As I mentioned, you can have 10 pieces in your wardrobe that's gonna be timeless and have those made to measure, which can always be what we call go-to pieces. Whereas the other ones you can then look at and try to buy consciously the other types of uh, clothing. Um, that said, I think it's, do, uh, it's quite important to highlight to people how much wastage goes into mass fashion? Let's just um, give you an example. A roll of thread that you see that you buy in Stop and Steel and all these uh, fabric stores, one roll of thread will take up to 2.5, no, 25, sorry, 25 liters of water to make one roll of thread. Wow. That's a lot of water. <laughs> That's a lot of water that just goes to the waste. And it's not something we can even recycle. You cannot recycle that water because it's so toxic. That thing just goes out into the oceans. And you're talking 25 liters of water for each roll, not even 2.5, 25. <laughs> um, so when I first heard that, it stunned me a little bit because I'm a costume maker uh, I, and also a fashion designer. We use threads like there's no tomorrow. What do we mean by that? When you go on a machine, yes, you sew in a machine. The, a lot of threads get pulled out each and every time you try to cut the thread. And so people just pull them, not conscious about how much thread we're actually using, just for convenience, just for speed, just for mass fashion. Whereas in make to measure, our threads cost a lot of money. <laughs> These threads that we use are high quality ones. And so when we do hand sewing, there's a lot less wastage when it comes to using our threads because we can cut them at really, really thin pieces. Yeah, we can just leave maybe a little bit like this and that's all we need to leave out before we finish a stitch. Whereas on the machine, you literally have to leave it like that much before you can finish a stitch properly on the machine. So there's so much more wastage just on thread alone that goes into mass fashion as opposed to make to measure. So if you really are a more environmental conscious person, do support make to measure clothing. 
they also do last a long, long time, as opposed to if you just buy something and throw it the next year. Um, so that alone says a lot about the mass fashion industry. Um, I myself like to have pieces that um, I keep. So I do have about 10 pieces that I like to go to, as mentioned. And those ones I make to measure, I do not buy them off the racks. Yeah. And what would those pieces be? Uh, are these jeans and the blouse or are these dresses and some special occasion? Of, um, yeah, um, unfortunately, jeans, jeans is a very polluting industry. Um, unfortunately, jeans is not able to be uh, made to measure because denims, denims in themselves have to be synthetically created. So because of that, denim, 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 denim is one of the most uh, actually detrimental pieces of fabrics created for the environment. So be very aware if you're to buy denims. Um, of course, this, that's not to say that you shouldn't buy jeans, but uh, I would reduce the number of jeans if you are more fashion conscious. Um, the pieces I do have are definitely one piece dresses because they're very, very you know, flat and very easy to put on and very easy to match with other accessories. So I have three pieces of one piece dresses that are made to measure and have three blazers that are also made to measure. So um, usually I would say blazers or jackets, um, pieces of dresses, um, pants, for example, shirts as well, if you like shirts. Um, but unfortunately for females, shirts tend to not be that good a deal <laughs> because shirting for women, unfortunately, are not like menswear. Why do I say that? The patterning for female shirts um, has been based off a men's pattern. So it's been based off a Victorian men's pattern. Um, it does not fit the women's figure that well. So we still need a little bit of uh, fashion revolution when it comes to women's shirts. Let's just put it this way. Um, they were based off a men's pattern. They're not created for females. Um, so because of that, when women wear a shirt, some shirts just don't fit us very well when it comes to the arms or the collar. You will start feeling a little bit of pull here and there it's pretty difficult to find a perfect woman's shirt. That's not because it's our fault. It's not because the, the pattern is wrong. It's because the pattern was based off a men's wear pattern, not a women's one. Whereas for dresses, they were derived from women's um, dresses, ancient times. So talking like uh, Rococo times and uh, you're talking also Victorian times. Those are the dresses that women came up with on our own. So these are dresses that fits us in terms of the cuts and everything. Transferring that to a suit, it doesn't really quite work for us. So I, I know it's a little bit uh, different, but when we go into historical research uh, on patterning, you realize that a lot of women's wear patterns that we wear today, the clothes we wear today, are all based off men's wear patterning. And because of that, it's not extremely flattering for a female body at all. Yeah. Is there a way to correct that these days? Um, I wouldn't say a way to correct that. I would say the... For me, whenever I do make costumes um, or make dresses for myself, I do like to go back to a historical women's pattern and then modernize it to how I prefer it today. So that the dresses are a little bit more let when it comes to the chest area, a bit more tight on the waist area, because women have curves, yeah. Uh, the, the men's wear patterns don't have curves. <laughs> if you look at a woman's shirt, it's been fitted um, sort of like, you know, the formal shirts that women wear. It's kind of like a flat pattern that you try to create curves in. So it doesn't really look that very good on us, to be honest. And it's not very, very comfortable for us. So what I tend to do is defer myself away from that. And I try not to wear shirts as much because it really doesn't fit me very well. It's not comfortable. 
um, over time, they're not that very timeless either because the women's shirts uh, tend to be a little bit, uh, how, how do I mention? When men wear suits, they look very tight. They look very straight and they look very neat. Yeah. Whereas the yeah. women, when we wear suits, something just doesn't feel quite right. It just feels as if like the woman's been squashed into that and has <laughs> to maintain her body that. And when you move around in a suit, sometimes your shirts get shifted and stuff. It doesn't have the tight feel that a, a, a man would have. Yeah, so that's where we feel a little bit of uh, problems when it comes to the, the it's just purely patterning. It's just purely patterning. Um, for that matter, I would prefer that a female um, wears pattern clothing that's suitable for us. So whether it be round colors or be high colors or it be anything that is more suited to us rather than, a, you know, actual men's color sort of that's thing. That's true. Yeah, I know it's a bit difficult to say, but the, we're essentially two very different bodies. So we're more curvy, the men's more straight. So it's good to wear something that's a bit more flattering for us. Um, those are the pieces that I would prefer to make to measure, for sure, because they, they stay in my wardrobe for a lot longer. And I can wear them through time, through age. It doesn't matter if I'm 60, whether I'm 20, uh, those clothes will still be applicable to me. Yeah. That's true. Well, I would like to get back a little bit to when we were talking about um, made to measure. Yes. You said that it is a lot of labor intensive, but when I look into mass fashion as well, we have a huge industry in Bangladesh, Pakistan, India, where there are a lot of manpower involved, even these days still. Yeah. My question to you would be, why is this situation in 21st century like that? Mm -hmm. uh, why didn't we move towards technological solutions into mass production? Yeah, um, it is. Mm, for those of us who do make clothes, you understand that um, fashion itself is still a very labor-intensive piece of work. It is impossible for a machine um, to 100% recreate the shirts and dresses that we wear. Everything has to be made by a human being. Um, that's because there is no machine in this world. They can cut out the patterns for you using laser cutters and so on. But there is no one that can actually feed it um, edge to edge, seam to seam on a machine as of today. Um, it's quite difficult to design machines that can do that uh, and do it perfectly. It is hard, it is very difficult. Why do I say that? Uh, let's just say women's wear, for example. We, as mentioned, very curvy. And because of these curves, there are some tight ones, especially, especially when we say the princess seam, princess line, uh, that goes from the, the chest down towards your waist. That part alone has irregularities when stitching because the fabric doesn't match itself quite well and that has to be done by a human being um, that's the reason why you see mass fashion um, still going on in you know mass fashion factories still going on in india and all these other places because it still requires a human hand to sew those seams and no machine can do it today you can say that many things have been automized i would say yes for straight lines but unless we go back to this 18th century and start wearing dresses like Marie Antoinette, uh, we cannot make clothes with straight lines. You'll be surprised. The 18th century clothing, the big fancy beautiful dresses you see in the French court, were made with nothing but straight lines. That's because sewing machine never existed back then. It was all made by hand. And because it was made by hand, the seams are very straight. People just sat down and sewed straight lines all day long. <laughs> that was what happened in the 1700s. Um, Things have changed because of the Victorian era, because of the invention of the sewing machine. People wanted to 
actually um, flaunt the wealth of having the capability to own a sewing machine. And so because of that, all the patterns became secular. Everything became circles. And because everything became circles, you now need a human hand to put it on a sewing machine and sew circles. And because you needed to do that, modern wear, whatever we're wearing today, are all based on Victorian patterning. Not on the 18th, not on the 18th century, they were all based on the 19th century. The time where having a sewing machine was considered luxury. And we are still flaunting that abundance and wealth today. We are still almost abusing the sewing machine just because we know we can have the sewing machine. Um, but that's something that used to be, and I think that needs to change because 18th century, <coughs> sorry, 18th century clothes are also very beautiful, but they're all made with straight lines. Like how the Japanese kimono is also being made with straight lines um, because they're ancient clothes. And people in the past, fabric was expensive. <laughs> Unlike today, fabrics were really expensive and only the wealthy can afford those fabrics. So because of that, people did not waste fabric, unlike today. As mentioned, all our patterns were from the Victorian times. And because of that, wastage was considered luxury. And today's mass fashion is still based on that very notion that wastage equals luxury. Um, it's really sad, um, but it's true that mass fashion still goes with that logic. Whereas nowadays, it's uh, considered uh, luxurious to save fabric to make it made to measure. It's kind of like the opposite, you know, like how things got swapped around when it comes to eras. Back then, wasting was great. Today is like, oh, saving is great. Um, <laughs> but it, it would be nice if people go back to how ancient people were and actually, you know, take care of the fabrics and uh, really pick the right fabrics and be more conscious about the fabrics they use as opposed to, you know, how we just wastage, uh, just throw them all out like we did in the Victorian times just because we could. Um, but yeah, that, that's where it came from. If you yeah. wanted to know why we have so much issues with fashion today, it's because everything was from the Victorian times. Yep. When we started doing circular patterns <laughs> and affording the wastage. Um, yeah, I primarily because of the sewing machine. Yeah. yeah. I was actually wondering uh, to ask you another question because recently there was a huge trend of um, 3D printing and 3D printing uh, your own clothes as well. Uh, do you see this yes. as an upcoming technological advancement or is it fading out? What's your point of view on that? Mm. <clears throat> um, sorry, kind of a little bit here. Um, <laughs> Actually, the, the notion of 3D printing has been around for quite a while. And it's been around for about 12 years now. Uh, it's not something new. Um, back during the times when I was studying in London, already we dabbled with uh, 3D printing uh, for fabrics. Um, at the point of time, the technology was still not very advanced. Today, it's a little bit more advanced. <clears throat> that said, I do not think that the fabrics that are made uh, through that 3D printing process uh, in terms of dresses and so on will hold up as well as if you were to have to recreate them by hand or recreate them in a make-to-measure situation um, because the cost right now this is a, this not justified ends um, the cost of the 3D printing it's you, you might as well just get a really skilled tailor up in Italy to make that for you um, but should there one day be that the cost of 3D printing gets cheaper uh, and the fabrics that have been created from 3D printing or the, the dresses that have been made from 3D printing actually do hold up. 
Uh, there's a little bit of an issue with that it's because of the materials that are being used into the 3D printing process. But if that can get better, I would still give it about 10 or 15 years at least for it to get somewhere. Um, but yeah, it could be something. But there is something else that we dabble with. Um, there's something that I'm not sure people actually heard about this before. Um, it's water-soluble fabrics. Water-soluble. You can actually take the fabric, put it into water, and it just dissolves. And then from the wow. dissolved solution, you can recreate the same fabric again, flat and straight. I know it's crazy, but that, that's been done before. Uh, it's been done at the Sustainability Fashion um, Institute at London College of Fashion in London. Um, that's where I went to to see this process. It's done by a few chemical engineers and they managed to do so. These fabrics are actually made from water soluble fibers. And then the minute they come in contact with water, they start dissolving at a slow rate. And so whatever colors and patterns you put on top of it will also just dissolve into the water. And when you dry them up, just dry the water, everything comes back again into one straight piece with nothing on. Um, where can we use this? This is where it comes in. If you were to do fashion or have done sewing before, you will know this thing we use for sampling called calico. So calico is uh, kind of like a recycled cotton that we use for forming dress forms. Like if you go to see the, um, the shows and Dior and all that, um, they have these forms, these fashion forms. So they're basically no real fabrics. It's just this piece of uh, calico that has the shape of the dress fully made on it. We call that a toile. Um, these toiles that are on the mannequins, they are all created using this calico. Calico is used because it's the cheapest thing and it's recyclable. Um, but what calico can't do is that we waste so much of them. And they still take up a lot of water to you know, generate and recycle these calico pieces. And we throw out so much of them because we have to cut, we have to trial and error, we have to test. So all these pieces just keep getting thrown out. I think uh, of a huge roll, about 500 kilos uh, kg of uh, calico, we probably throw out about 100, 120 kilos. So it's like a one fifth of that fabric's just gone. Um, those times is when you really look at the fabrics and go, can't fashion be a little bit more environmentally friendly? I mean, you ask for solutions, right? And it's, it's, it pains us to have to throw them away. But there's absolutely nothing we can do about them because we need to test and trial and error these pieces. Um, so where I see this water-soluble fabric coming in is in this particular instance where you actually can recycle the fabric and then put them together. So scrap pieces could just be thrown into the water and you can then generate one straight piece and flat again and we can use the piece and do trials again. So that's something that was absolutely revolutionizing. Um, unfortunately, unfortunately, the cost does not justify the use of it. Um, the process of drying that solution is extremely cost and ineffective. So there, there really wasn't much we could do. I mean, fashion has and is still a very polluting uh, industry. And we have tried our best to minimize the pollution from that. So if you go to H&M and you see these clothing on the racks that says H&M Conscience, um, that's not very conscious at all because uh, I know <laughs> what goes into that. Uh, it's only conscious in what the fabrics are. Uh, the fabrics are more organic. The fabrics have been uh, sourced well. They have been sourced not from, um, you know, inhumane factories, but that does not mean that that thing you buy is not polluting to the environment. It's extremely, extremely polluting just in the making process alone, not to mention 
the fabric construction, not to mention the threads, not to mention the people that sews that thing together. So everything is not very ethical. Um, but that's exactly what the fashion industry really is. Mass fashion industry, I have to stress, the mass fashion industry. The haute couture or the made-to-measure industries are very, very ethical because they pay the people, they pay the craftsmen, everyone gets their fair share. Yeah, it does cost, but you know, good things cost money. <laughs> so uh, it, it's, it's really difficult to bring that idea across the people because mass fashion has been such a revolutionizing concept to us. It's brought so many people the accessibility to so many designs and clothes. You can buy things, you know, for cheap. I mean, I'm also a victim of that. I mean, we go to H&M and we're like, oh, this is so cheap to avoid. <laughs> this is so good. It's so cheap. I just have to have it. I, I understand that as well, because not every one of us can just go out there and spend $2,000 on a freaking dress. But, the <laughs> but if you think about that, um, really investing in timelessness, like how the ancients used to do, how the people, people in the past used to treat their clothes, um, having a little bit of concept, a little bit of awareness to that would also really help us. It's kind of like the concept of, you know, being vegan or the concept of being vegetarian. It would be the same where each one of us live by our set of rules and say that, you know, I would like to limit my wardrobe to only having this amount of mass fashion wear. And that will really help the industry to reduce the waste. Reducing demand reduces the waste. It will also help the large companies to realize that demands have shift, shifted away from mass fashion towards something a bit more customizable, a bit more tailored to, to each and every one of us. So I think that that is a good signal. And I really do hope and encourage people to send that signal because the fashion industry is picking it up. Nowadays, um, it's very much very different from how I first used to when, when we went to London, you know, Primark and all that, making so much money. Um, they are to themselves realizing that people do not want mass produced stuff anymore. Um, there is this strong notion that consciousness must count ethical uh, makings and ethical uh, wear has to be the next fashion. So they themselves are now picking up on that. So I do hope that people keep up this trend so that companies would say, okay, now we have to put some priorities into our ethics. <laughs> um, that would really, really help the industry in general. Absolutely. Yeah. And people shouldn't forget the fact that it may cost a little in the beginning, but it definitely pays off. In the long run, it pays it's off. Definitely. Yes. Actually, uh, we've been talking for almost about an hour so far and the time oh, just wow. flew. But uh, I would really off. like uh, to move to one section that I always do uh, during my interviews. And mm. uh, it is fill in the blanket. So I have come mm. up with five statements to you and um, I will read the beginning and you have to uh, finish it uh, with your uh, opinion. Okay. Okay. I'll try. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, okay. And then let's start with the first one. Uh, to me, sustainability is. That's a very difficult one. <laughs> um, <laughs> to me, sustainability is no wastage. Very strong. Yeah. Very strong. Yeah. Second no one. One thing I would like to see more of in the world is. Make to measure clothing. 100%. Yay! <laughs> Definitely. Yay People need to go back to how it used to be. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, next one. 
For a complete beginner in the sustainability area, I would like to suggest to start off with. It's mm. a really good one. Buying timeless pieces. So buy maybe a shirt, a white one or a you know, black one that you know you can use for at least seven different looks. Just start with that. Not hard, but yes. <laughs> Seven different pieces, seven looks. Just go for yeah. seven looks, one piece. If that piece cannot go for seven different looks, don't buy it. That's all. So buying looks instead of um, pieces as well. Yeah, buy the looks, buy the piece that you know can give you seven different looks. Yes. Awesome, that's a very good that's one. <laughs> yeah. The fourth one, ever sustainable business? Mm. Every sustainable business or yeah. having a sustainable business? Every, Every sustainable, business. sustainable business is or should or maybe challenges. Ah, okay. Mm. Every sustainable business must give priority to ethical production. That is very important one. to me. Yes, ethical production is extremely important. Uh, ethics is a choice. I do not feel that ethics is something uh, that's a supplementary or an addition. Ethics has to be a choice. It has to be a priority for a company. So ethical decision-making and eth ethical production. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The last statement, in two to three years, I see fashion industry. Oh, two to three years. I see fashion industry booming in the East. <laughs> sorry it's so difficult <laughs> to say um but it's true the rise of the rise of china is a dragon we do not want but it's a dragon that will come no matter what <laughs> so yes the in two to three years the fashion industry will shift demand to asia and so it's extremely important that we stand on the forefront and educate people on ethicalness and on on fashion production that's more ethical in nature because the Chinese, uh, I wouldn't say they don't have a concept of that, but that's not their priority. So we do start off with the, this is going to be the standard, then they will pick it up. And they're really good at picking things up. So they will pick it up. And then that would be a revolutionizing trend, would be the Chinese uh, industry and the Chinese fashion industry just going towards ethical production. That, that would be my dream. But that would also, I hope, be what fashion industry will be two to three years from now, because they are such huge supporters of made to measure. Uh, Chinese people do not want to buy mass fashion. That's because everyone has it. You know, mass fashion is everywhere in China. It's not special anymore. So made to measure, they are on the forefront of it. Um, I know so many uh, middle class, not wealthy Chinese, middle class Chinese who are already looking into customizing. I want my own dress. I want my own things. I don't want mass fashion because everyone has mass fashion in China. Everyone has it. So made to measure, they are really on the forefront. And I really hope fashion industry will go towards that direction, will be spearheaded with that. Um, and I hope the rest of the world will really support them and will also be inspiration figures towards the Chinese fashion industry to say that ethics uh, is the key to anything in fashion. And that make to measure will be the next trend. That would be my wish. Two to three years. Hope that happens. <laughs> I hope that will come true. Definitely. Yeah. I, I am a strong supporter on this one too. And I think we 
noticed the um, uh, rise of Chinese market at the moment, uh, Asian markets in general. So if there was any lesson that they could take from us, let it be this, that they should start with the fashion industry from a better standard, so to say. Yeah, really hope so. Um, the mass fashion there, I've seen for myself because I'm an avid user of Taobao. <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say that mass fashion there, they have a, they don't really quite have a concept of that because everything needs to be cheap and quick. And that's something that the Chinese really, really go for cheap and fast, quick, really good production. Um, but I think there is a very large fraction of them that is growing, especially the top tier um, spearheaders in the Chinese industry and the Chinese market. Um, they're the ones who really aim for customization. They're the ones who really go for luxury at its finest. So they're really going back to ancient value systems of how a luxury should be, uh, which is made to measure, which is um, properly sourced ingredients, top quality ingredients. Um, that said, there's still a lot of um, pain when it comes to wearing animal clothing in terms of like animal skins and so on. So that's a little bit of a trend backward, but I really hope that people could inspire um, the Chinese to push forward with more ethical consumption of fashion materials, um, debuking the use of animal skins, because I do not feel that that's necessary at all. Uh, but you know, that it's a concept that needs time to change. So really hope that the, you know, the West will be able to influence the East when it comes to that. And I will, I to myself hope to bring that trend back to the East and say, you know, this is a new way of fashion where everything is conscious, where everything is ethical. And that ethics is the next level of class. That would primarily be the main takeaway, I hope, to people would be that ethical clothing is the next level of class. And that, you know, to be considered classy, go for the ethics. That would be like the primary aim. And that would be really something I hope that the world would pick up on, even totally. for myself. Yeah. Totally. Thank you. So the three key takeaways, just to summarize our conversation, what would you say you would like everyone to take out as three key main points? Would like everyone to become um, inspirational figures, uh, spearheaders of ethical wear, uh, and then also to be conscious about what you buy. Um, because remember that threads are really, really polluting. Um, also, if you could do support the make to measure market. Um, currently, it is dying in many, many industries, except in luxury fashion for the only 0.1% of the world that can support it. But for the rest of us, you will be very surprised that make to measure is actually not that expensive. And there are many people out there who are willing to make your shirt for a fraction of the price as compared to you buying some branded suit out there. Um, go ahead, look for your local tailor, have them customize it for you because those clothing are made with such love. <laughs> they will last so long and they will be timeless in terms of its patterning. And yes. you will feel the difference. You will feel the love and emotion put into the clothing and you will also want to maintain it and make it last longer. Yes. I hope our talk with Julia was interesting and exciting for you. Did you learn something new? Maybe something about made to measure fashion or an interesting fact in uh, fast fashion history. Why don't you share that with your friends or on social media? If you do so, go ahead and tag me at 
myconscious__living and use hashtag refashionpodcast. That is just one word. Help us spread the word about sustainable fashion and reach bigger audience. If you're curious of what's coming up next, please subscribe to my podcast here to never miss a new episode. Share it with your friends on social media. Follow me on Instagram at myconscious underscore living. And by the way, if you haven't rated and reviewed my podcast on iTunes yet, please do so. I would be so grateful for that. By doing that, you help this podcast reach even more listeners to whom this podcast would be super relevant and important. Also, this is your way to give me feedback and bring more interesting topics for you going forward. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode. Take care.